Hello and welcome to the Helping Organisations Thrive podcast. This is your host, Julian Roberts. This podcast is to provide leaders with insights, discussions and robust strategies to help their companies thrive in these challenging times. We will be interviewing business leaders, owners and experts in the field of business resilience. Welcome to Helping Organizations Thrive uh, podcast. Uh, today I have two guests, uh, so even more value for you. Um, so we've got Michael Sonneman and Rishon Blumberg. Welcome, both of you. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, and that was good Hello, to see you. internet world out there. <laughs> yes, absolutely. This is how we seem to view everybody now, is on these little little screens. Um, but um, it's great that I can do this because obviously you're uh, way in, in the, the world of America and I'm in the UK. So uh, this is a good opportunity to connect, uh, even if we could fly and see you in person, which would be great, even better, but uh, the second best. Uh, I'm just going to tell our audience that it was popularized during the pandemic. We, we love that. <laughs> yes. I was going to tell our audience a little bit about you. Um, you both founded 10 Times Managements, um, which is the first of its kind sort of talent agency, and our thought leaders on talent economy and the future of work. Uh, and I really want to get into that because there's massive questions on the future of work at the moment and how that's going to play out. Um, you also have published a, your first book called Game Changer, How to Be uh, 10 Times in the Talent Economy. And I guess I'm sure we'll... Uh, touch on that as well later but before we go into all that exciting stuff about talent management uh, I want to know a little bit more about you guys and, and say I'm curious I'm nosy and I'm going to ask you first uh, Rishon uh, what do you love about what you do? Well we've been doing what we do for a really long time and, and the broad umbrella of what we consider ourselves to be our talent representatives people that protect the talent side of the equation um, so built into that, you know, is part of the joy, <clears throat> but I really get joy out of seeing problems solved. And that can be in the entertainment world where music comes out and it helps solve someone's emotional problems. Maybe they're down and out and they hear a song and it lifts them. I love that feeling. Um, and on the technology side of what we do, I love to be able to find the right resource for a company to help them solve a problem that they have yet uh, not been able to solve for whatever reason. So, so that's kind of the joy that I get out of it, protecting talent and solving problems. Brilliant. How about you, Michael? What's, what do you love about what you do? There's a little bit of overlap there. But what, what I really love is that the nature of how we have earned our living from age 25 through the present, with the exception of a, a very occasional consulting gig, is that we earn a commission from the people that we represent. So we are partners in success and failure, and I really like being partnered with people. And frankly, I love that we get to help people realize their dreams, and our dreams are in, in, in helping them achieve their goals. And I, I really like that, and I really take a lot of, a, a lot of uh, satisfaction in that. We've been doing this for a long time, and one of the things that I, I came to realize is Brick Wall Management, which is the entertainment company, our ability to succeed with somebody takes a longer period of time. It's a long time horizon to build a career in entertainment. It's not a one-off moment. Um, with, with 10X Management, where we represent very high-level freelance tech professionals, it's a, it's a fairly quick process, although we work with them for a very long period of time, 
So it's not instant. And then with 10X to Send, which is our latest endeavor where we help people negotiate full-time job offers, we might work with somebody for a week or, or three weeks or four weeks and completely change their lives because they got a much better deal. And that's really instant gratification. So I love seeing it and I love being partners with people. Excellent. And you guys have been uh, not only obviously the talent uh, management for many, many years, but you've known each other from, is it almost... I don't know how old were you when you, you, you 41 yeah. years, something like that. 41 years. Oh, like 43 years now or something. something like <laughs> we, we were about eight years old and, and I, somehow I feel like I keep getting called old. Rashawn's like, we've been doing this for a long time. You just said we've known each other for a long time. We're all 51 and about to be 52, one of us. later. That's brilliant. And it's incredible to have that sort of friendship that you built over that years and managed to navigate all the businesses you're doing and be successful. So um that's fantastic that's brilliant i think we consider um, it as much like a marriage as, as a friendship excellent that's brilliant um i, I want to touch on the whole uh, i suppose from from my perspective getting some lessons from the last 12 months um and get your perspectives on um how talent uh, management talent in terms of recruiting and how we have developed in this time because it's been really challenging from many fronts and i just want to get a bit of a focus on talent so i don't know if uh, rishon do you want to sort of, sort of start that conversation really in terms of your perspective in the last 12 months yeah i think what the last 12 months has shown us you know being separated as much as we have and having to speak through this medium which is remarkable and wonderful in so many different ways but it really saps that human connection out of things is intentionality. That's my sort of buzzword for this last 14, 15 months is companies and individuals, there has to be a lot of intentionality of what you want to achieve. That could be intentionality of connection. Like I want to carve out time to have a call with you or a Zoom with you just to talk about you and what's going on with you personally. Um, or I want to carve out time to talk about this specific agenda of things. It can't be as loosey-goosey as it used to be because you can't just walk into somebody's office and chit-chat mm -hmm. for a couple of minutes, catch up, and move on to the next thing. So intentionality um, is what we want to see more of moving forward, even as we come back to the more in-person, because it's very easy to sort of forget the human side of human resources. Um, and and that's, that's my sort of impression of my takeaway for the last 14, 15 months, intentionality. And does intentionality take away authenticity or take away the sort of casualness of those relationships so obviously i agree with you that the water cooler type chats is not intentional it's just a casual off the cuff and those moments can be quite amazing really but does intentionality take away that authenticity i i don't think so i think just the opposite actually i feel like what we've had to do to be more human in these last 14 15 months is something that we've really taken for granted and we should be much more um, cognizant of and intentional of moving forward, which is that if the person isn't happy, if the person isn't respected, taken care of, heard, um, the person isn't going to want to perform for you or your company. So if you're a manager and you're managing talent of some kind, uh, make sure you take the time. And yeah, if it's intentional, there's nothing that lacks humanity there. It's, it's taking that actual authentic time to sort of understand and, and find out how somebody is doing um, as opposed to letting it just happen because, oh yeah, I spent with, you know, 
35, 40 minutes with them over the last week because we bumped into each other. I popped into their office. We chit-chatted. That's really you know, superficial. What I'm talking about intentionality is, is something that, that is intentionally a little bit deeper. Okay. I like that. And Michael, in terms of your own businesses, how have you been doing things differently in terms of to, to maintain that connection, that interaction, and ensuring your, your own talent is growing? That's, that's a great question. And the reality is the pandemic has, as it separated us from each other, it, it really, it, it, the opportunity to lose the human connection, the humanity is, was very great. So what we did as a company was we recognized that early on and created a bunch of things that didn't exist before. So we have a Monday morning check-in call that is not a work-related call. There's no agenda. It is, how was your weekend? How are you doing? And, and legitimate questions of, you know, are you okay? Because there were moments, this was very scary and we're on the other side of it now, but people, you know, there was a lot of, there were a lot of intense feelings and we needed to honor that. We added me an optional meditation twice a week for the team to come together and online do a group meditation. And there, I would say, you know, half of our team, a third of our team is pretty consistently participating. And then we added one-on-one -on -one sessions with everybody on the team to be happening monthly. So we could dig in, not in a group setting, but find out how is somebody doing? Are there issues that are coming up for them, personal, professional, or otherwise? And the whole idea here was we wanted to look after each other during this period of time. And I think that that's going to carry on. And it really speaks to everything that, that we've we've addressed in the book that you need to think about managing people and recruiting people differently. It's not, it's not enough to say we have this title and we need a, a person to do this job. We have to be at a point now where we recognize there's an individual who's going to do this and we need to know about that individual and what do they want in their job offer and how do they want to be managed. And all of what's gone on during the pandemic for us became a little bit of an acceleration of those, of those techniques. Okay, sounds like you obviously embraced it and also, you know, create those adaptions. Uh, in terms of, <clears throat> I suppose, retrospectively looking back, is there anything you would do differently from what you know now? We were really lucky to have an advisor who probably halfway through the pandemic said, all right, we've all learned how to do this so far. It's not going to be over for a while. Let's <laughs> Let's stop and take a breath and talk about what do we want to do differently for the second half? Let's be intentional about it. So we actually got to have a moment where we really where we really thought about that question. And the truth is, I don't think we made a lot of big changes. The things that we came up with as as sort of things we wanted to do was a lot of people on our team started traveling a little bit more as we got to the other half of the pandemic. And they weren't being risky in their travel. They were going someplace and staying there for a month or two months. And that became a great you know, a, a, a great opportunity for them, whether we're going to continue and sort of be that distributed and that remote on an ongoing basis. I think, you know, as a company, it's still to be determined. And as a society, it's it's very much to be determined. We're seeing so much debate, at least on this side of the pond, about how many days people go back to the office when this is all over. And, you know, they're, they're, uh, the founder of not the founder, the CEO of one of the ride sharing companies said that, that the employees who, who want to stay remote aren't engaged employees. And that person got jumped on by every other tech CEO for, you know, a statement that was 
inappropriate and not accurate. It was WeWork. It was WeWork CEO. It was WeWork. There's a lot of there's a lot of churn right now in terms of how this is going to change our you know working coming up, and I think there's going to be a lot of job churn overall shortly. There's, there's one there's one thing I want to add to this, which is, and this is something for years we had been talking about um, through the media, through speaking engagements, um, and that had to do with the fact that remote work was already trending in the direction of increasing. So we were incredibly fortunate, I think, at the beginning of the pandemic, because we have been working with remote talent for such a long time. We had a lot of systems in place already, even though we were all working out of our office most of the time. We, we did have flex periods where people could work from home. Um, you know, I think that we were super fortunate that we had uh, cloud-based systems in place. We had been working with remote talent for a really long time. So really all we had to adjust on our end come the pandemic was much more human elements to our work relationship. From a business standpoint, from a technology standpoint, we were completely set up and, and ready to go and we didn't miss a beat. And I think that was the biggest change for most companies is that rapid digitization uh, over the first two months of like getting the you know VPNs and the network set up and the you know the the logins and the passwords and getting everything on the cloud and getting everything on on um, on video, you know that was a huge transition for a lot of companies and people were caught unaware and that's something we've been talking about for a long time. So I think coming out of this, we're going to have the ability to do hybrid work significantly more effectively than we did before. Um, so we took what was already ramping up to remote flexibility and we're now completely set up from a technological standpoint. And I think what we need to work on really is that intentionality of the human element in order to keep that uh, capability and that product productivity. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I think last year it showed that uh, from a functionality perspective, we can do it. And from a productivity, we can do it. Um, and reasonably engagement, we, we can do it. And I think it's, you mentioned that word, bringing the, the human side and and how we bring that in. And I think, you know, hybrid working is, whatever hybrid working is, and it will vary by companies, um, is probably here to stay. So if you're a company out there right now, and I think there's a, there's a, there is a competitive advantage of embracing this. Uh, and I've been talking to a lot of people recently about, I think last year was all about resilience, adapting, modifying, all that type of thing. And this year is more about having more agility and almost going a little bit deeper than just the what I call surface level adaptions, which is probably to me the functionality is going to almost the, I call it business cognitive rebuilds where you're doing transformational things. And I think hybrid working is potentially one of those game changers if embraced in the right way. So I don't know who wants to take this in terms of how do you think companies should embrace it and and, and their approach and strategies really. Uh, I don't know if Rishon, do you wanna take that? Sure. I mean, I'll start it, and Michael, you can you can finish it because I'm sure you have a lot of comments here. Um, you know, I think that what we have seen from our last ten years of working with tech talent and and placing them in these sort of hybrid environments, um, some of our people were on site uh, part of the time, some of our people were off site. Um, you know, micromanagement, I think, is one of those things that really does not work in a hybrid environment. Um, you have to hire people who you trust enough to do their thing, like do what it is you hired them to do 
with a level of oversight. But I think micromanagement is one of those things that is going to have to drastically change in the hybrid environment. Um, and to me, that's a top-down mentality. It has to be. It has to start at the top and be communicated down. It can't come from the people that are being micromanaged. Um, it has to be sort of an organizational-wide process. Um, so for me, that's that's sort of the number one thing. And, and this goes to a lot of what we do at 10x Ascend, which is companies need to learn more about their employees um, and the talent that they work with at the very beginning and start that process earlier on than they normally do. Um, I love the quote from, um, it's not Bill Grace, from Steve Jobs, where he talks about the fact that we don't hire brilliant people to tell them what to do. We hire brilliant people so they can tell us what to do. Um, the more sophisticated and capable your talent and employees are, the more flexibility you need to give them. And I think that really works well with the hybrid workforce because that's it's all about a flex, flexibility. I would just add into that, actually, you, 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 you simulated an idea that I hadn't really contemplated before, which is things that need to be micromanaged are going to be gone. Because anything that needs to be micromanaged is, is a very specific task that has to be done a specific way, which is what machines are getting very good at. And I think that that, that, that validates a lot of what you were just saying. And I think the other element that's here about a blended or or a bespoke or a hybrid workforce is um, what you said about agility. Companies need to be much more agile than ever. And that means you need to know when to use a W-2 and when to use a 1099. I, just to, to translate that for the international um, audience, it's freelancers versus full-time. Um, those are just the U.S. tax codes. But but independent contractors versus versus full-time employees and you need to have a blend of remote and in office and and people who are in office there's a blend of you know how many days are, are they in the office and i think that as we look to the future the thing that becomes more and more clear is the companies that are brittle the companies that when they want to hire one of our people for a four week engagement to solve a big problem for them and require a 572 page master services agreement and then an SOW after that, like that's just not gonna work because by the time we get through that agreement, the need is gone and the problem has either been solved or there's a new problem that's bigger. And I just use that as an illustration, but it's it's time that companies you know, sort of take the position that these, these contracts and procurement practices and all of these policies that we have that have been built up over years of, of lawsuits or problems and and we're protecting ourselves, the protectionism has gone so far that they're actually hurting themselves more than they're protecting themselves. And that's part of what needs to needs to get rolled back is we need to be back to a place where we can do business quickly and effectively and find the right tool at the right time and be able to bring bring those in. And we, you know, just in our world, we've seen a lot of failings of that. And Michael, just, just building upon that, do you, do you see, <clears throat> do you see hybrid as being flexible working or a, a fundamental shift in how we work? I think that we're heading toward a tremendous amount of, of change of how we work. I, I think that again, the more, 
the more forward thinking and progressive a company is, the more they're going to be able to say to a developer, which is our world, to a software engineer, oh, wait, you're most productive when you work between 5 p.m. and midnight? Well, then work those hours. We won't be able to talk to you in the midst of those hours. We'll need to talk to you a couple times during the day. But if that's where you're going to do your best work, we don't want to get in the way of that. Um, if you do your best work from home because you don't want somebody tapping you on the shoulder and knocking you out of your flow state, out of your you being in the zone of being productive, then work at home. Um, we have to start to see what optimizes humans so that they can do the best for the company. And this started, the, the thinking around this started with the tech companies that that emerged in the late 90s, you know, Google, Google being at the forefront of that. I'm going to take a slightly, slightly different position on this. And, and I'd like, I'm hoping from a human standpoint that we, we see flexible work um, and not completely hybrid or remote work. Um, I think that the human element and the connection that we get by being together in some capacity is incredibly vital. We've seen more and more separation happened simply because of social media and the ability to sort of dive into these worlds that aren't um, completely real. They feel real, but they can be very manipulated, hyper manipulated. And so for me, nothing beats a little in-person time. Um, there's a huge difference between having to work remote and choosing to work remote. So to me, flexible work is, is great. Like the ability to come into the office if you want to come into the office or an office um, and be with people, or as we had even before the pandemic, you know, oh, Friday, I've got a ton of things I need to deal with. I'm going to work remotely so I can both work productively and deal with these things in my own personal life. I love that. Um, so for me, it's about flexible work. And maybe that's a boomer boomer mindset because I'm, I'm not so young anymore. But, <laughs> but I like the human connection that comes from being somewhere, being with other people in the group, the group element. And we mustn't miss that because we know that when people come together, there's something um, that sparkles, something that you get far more than you do on a virtual sense. And I know people have struggled with the virtual sense and being in person, the dynamics are better, body language, the interaction is. So if we're working hybrid, flexible, however we term it, because it, it's a bit of a moving feast. Um, I'd like to ask you this, Rishon, really, is... Um, if somebody wants to work from home and somebody doesn't want to work from home, how do you align that? Because obviously there's elements of people could get missed out or people could be excluded from conversation because you could be in the office and I could be at the, you know, the water cooler. I could have a chat with Michael, just have a little chat. And then oh, I'll come to this, into this office and we'll have a little chat more about what you're doing there. I'm more visible. I'm more promotable in that sense. However, my colleague is choosing to work from home. He's not getting those opportunities. So how do we ensure we don't, I guess, um, uh, keep people out of that and, not, and be inclusive in that sense? I mean, I don't, I don't mean to beat a dead horse here, but intentionality is really at the heart of all this um, and communication. I mean, the, the backbone of everything we talk about in our book is, is about communication. And if communication is fluid and unencumbered, by that I mean there, you know, managers have created an environment where you can speak freely and offer opinions, um, you know, communication and intentionality will help to level that playing field. But I agree with you being in person, it's, it's very hard to compete with somebody who is there working at a high level 
uh, versus somebody who is completely remote working at a high level. You are missing some element of that connection there, uh, but through intentionality and through truly working to bridge that gap, it can be achieved, but it's, it's never gonna take the place of being in person. I would also add that I think, you know, as we've been talking about with so much of this, it's, it's, it's customized. It's certain roles really lend themselves to not being around that often and creative and collaborative roles require it. You're just never going to get the same results if you don't get people in the same room. Um, you can, you can get, you can achieve what you need to achieve remotely. We've demonstrated that, but there are certainly teams and and you know this this also gets right into diversity and having having you know differing opinions in the same room so you can you can really have all the perspectives heard and, and adjusted and I think that you know this is this is just like everything else we've discussed it's got to be does this role suit itself to somebody you know if the last person in in the development cycle who's only got a build they don't do any planning of of what the product is. They may be fine remote because by the time it gets to them, it's locked. It's done. Just go build this. And that's fine. But the people who are creating the product, the, uh, you know, if you will, the product team, there's a lot of back and forth and debate and the ideas, you know, that come from a brainstorming session where I thought a horrible idea, but it stimulates you to have a great idea. That doesn't always happen if you don't have that kind of collaboration. And sometimes I think being in a room really does does help. Yeah, and I, and I agree, and I think it's a bit like what you said, Rishon. Is almost have some, almost have some principles in place, isn't it? Some principles of that intentionality, principles. How can we maintain connection? How can we maintain collaboration? And it's creating that customization that's based on those principles that can really flow. Because uh, each company, each role will be very different, and there's no one size fits all. Um, so just just before we finish, I'd like to hear from you both in terms of. If you were talking to a, a CEO now of an organization, uh, what advice you would give them uh, for the future in terms of 2021, in terms of making an impact uh, within uh, their business and making sure that they not only manage their talent, but grow their talent uh, for this year? So I'll ask you, Rishon, first, if that's okay. Well, I, I think it's a really great multi-leveled question. Um, I'm gonna, maybe I'll just take a portion of it. I think that there's a big difference between leadership and management. And a CEO of a company really needs to be a leader. And a leader embodies a lot of different elements than just a manager. Um, you know, you have to set the vision for the company. You have to set the, the, um, the personality of the company. What does the company stand for? Who are you as a representative of this organization? And I'm a huge fan of you know, sort of top-down philosophy. So to me, a CEO really needs to speak for the mission um, and the values of a company very, very clearly. If those things aren't aligned, I think the the company is going to fail, um, much like we saw with Uber under its first CEO, where it, it grew to a certain size, but it sort of uh, collapsed under its own weight of sort of a cult of personality. We saw it at WeWork as well. So I think the, the CEOs of the future um, really need to be ambassadors for their companies, much more so than managers of their companies. Excellent. How about you, Michael? I think bringing the, the why into work 
is going to be increasingly more important. What, we, what we've what we observed by working with 10Xers, and just to quickly define what we mean by that, these are sort of top performers in any field. Uh, Michael Jordan, clearly a 10Xer, Bruce Springsteen, a 10Xer, software engineers you've never heard of, but who can produce 10 times the output of their peers or 10 times the value of their peers would be 10Xers. So when we, when we work with these people, we, we've observed some things that really matter to them. And ironically, or maybe, maybe you know, relationally, millennials and Gen and Gen Z have very similar qualities about what they want out of their future. And the things that, that become important to them is they want to work on things that meet their personal personal mission and their values. So if you're not figuring out how to connect what you do to somebody's mission, or at least bring bring some some societal value or some benefit that they can understand and wrap their head around, it's pretty hard. I mean, we you started out asking what we love about what we do. And what I said is I love that we get to help people fulfill their dreams. For the people that work for us and with us, that's a very inspiring thing to be able to work on. If mm. the answer was we make widgets that go in the garbage, that's not as hard, that's not as easy to fall in love with. So I think when you look at what what the, you know, as, as Rashan said, we're going to need to continue to do more and more with fewer people. Um, and the people that you're going to have are going to need to be higher and higher performers. And the more you can connect both to their personal mission and also to what they want out of their career. If you currently have people who are exceptional performers and or millennials or Gen Z on your team and they don't know how their future aligns with your company, mm. they're going to be looking for a new job before long. Um, and, all, and all likelihood, no kidding aside, before the end of this year, because Everybody stayed put for a minute, and now the job market is heating up in ways that we haven't seen in a long time. Mm -hmm. Everybody who was sitting around afraid to leave or sitting around because they might have been getting unemployment in this country are all gearing up to make changes. And I think as a, as a CEO, to be prepared for the future, one of the things that you really need to look at is your team's going to be changing, and you should be prepared for that. Yeah, and obviously the growth of millennials and Gen Z in the workforce uh, is going to be prolific and so i agree with you that getting connecting with their the why their mission however you want to term it um whether you can take the company one and, and somehow somehow align it but it's certainly meeting them somewhere because i agree with you uh, that's really important and that's part of the part of the hybrid working in some ways because it aligns to their lifestyle and what, how they want to live their life so i think there's a I think for me, what COVID has done has given a bit of a fracture to what was already happening and probably accelerated um, the sort of dynamics that have been in the workplace. And so it looks exciting, quite challenging for organizations as they try and navigate it, particularly those uh, like ourselves, over 50 CEOs trying to work that through. But um, as we remain fresh, adaptable, and always learning as we, we endeavor to do, uh, that would be great. Um, so if people want to connect with you guys, because uh, I'm sure they will, uh, how can they get hold of you? And also, I want you to tell uh, the sort of the audience a little bit about the book you've launched as well and where they can get hold of that as well. Well, if you want to connect with me, you can come to my office on 32nd Street in New York City. <laughs> I'm kidding. That sounds I mean, very old-fashioned. You can. You can do that. We are in the office on occasion at this point already. Michael's holding up a copy of the book. Um, we have a website for the book, GameChangerTheBook.com, and both of our contact information, LinkedIn and whatnot, um, are on the site, plus a fun little quiz you can take to see how 10x you are 
and how 10x your company is. Um, so some fun stuff there. And Michael, why don't you sort of lay out the book for us? I mean, the book is really a distillation of having managed people across all these different industries from musicians, you know, people like John Mayer and Vanessa Carlton to uh, directors and entrepreneurs and now tech talent and really understanding what the common ground is among the highest performers in the world. And we interview people who manage those people. We interview a bunch of 10Xers themselves. And what we what, what you come back with or what you come away with is very clearly how to make your company more 10x, how to attract these kinds of people to your company um, and how to retain them and manage them once you have them. And then the second, the, the other half of the book is really focused on how do you as an individual move yourself further up the 10x ladder? So how do you manage up so you can get the feedback you need to be a better performer? Um, I, I could probably go on for quite a while about what, what else is in there, but that's a pretty good distillation. Well, people know where to, to go and connect with you guys and connect and find out more about the book. I'm sure it's available on Amazon and the various yes. websites like that, all those we places. Hope so. We hope so. We hope so. No, I did check it is on there, so I did look. <laughs> um, well, well, thank you for your time today. Thank you for your insights. Um, I think this conversation uh, I could probably have with you again in probably three months' time and be – be even more fascinated and see what's happened or changed and what else is going to happen. Uh, but do do thank you for coming on today. Likewise. Thank you so much for having us. When you're ready. <laughs> thank you, guys. If you like this episode, then please do subscribe, do share with your friends, and do check out other episodes in the series. If you're looking for support and help in your organization to create a resilient culture, then please do get in contact with me on julianrobertsconsulting.com. Thank you.